morning. I'm Lindsay Murphy, and I'm going to read from Exodus 19. It's a little more full second service, <laughs> but we're glad you're here. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you and will always believe you. Moses recorded the people's words to the Lord, and the Lord told Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. They must wash their clothes and be prepared by the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put boundaries for the people all around the mountain and say, Be careful that you don't go up on the mountain or touch its base. Anyone who touches the mountain must be put to death. No hand may touch him. Instead, he will be stoned or shot with arrows and not live, whether animal or human. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they may go up the mountain. On the third day, when morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud blast from the ram's horn, so that all the people in the camp shuddered. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the sound of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain. Then the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain, and he went up. The Lord directed Moses, Go down and warn the people not to break through to see the Lord, otherwise many of them will die. Even the priests who come near the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out in anger against them. Moving over to chapter 20, verse 18. All the people witnessed the thunder and lightning and the sound of the ram's horn and the mountains surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid, for God has come to test you so that you will fear him and not sin. And the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the total darkness where God was. Thank you. I want to invite you, if you haven't found your place there yet, uh, to turn to Exodus chapter 19. And as you do so, I, just, I want to welcome you and say that we're glad you're here worshiping with us today. And um, I just want to mention that you know, we've this uh, this summer has been a, a summer of change as we've gotten some work done here in the sanctuary, and we've been kind of jumping around. And last week should be our our final week of change, Lord willing, anyway, as we go to our outdoor service. Uh, that's 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 planned and and something we do every year, sort of towards the end of the summer. And so we want to invite you to join us next week. Um, things kick off at 9:30. We'll have our youth worship at 9:30, and then our service starts at 10. Uh, just remember, bring a lawn chair, bring a dish to pass if you're staying to eat. And um, I want to let you know that we still need some help with some things. And so if you go to our website and go to the events tab 
and you'll find the outdoor service. Uh, there's some opportunities there that you can be a part of, and it would be a huge help if you can contribute a little bit and, um, and take up uh, some of those opportunities. It will be a huge uh, weight off of some of our volunteers' shoulders. Um, I have, I've, always, I've always loved mountains. I, I've shared this before, but I, uh, given the story here, I want to mention again, I, I'm, 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 I'm getting older now. I just repeat myself anyway, so... I find that most pastors do that anyways, so it's, it'll be all right. But remember the, when I was little and we would take some trips, and, and some of the first mountains I ever saw were going through the, the Smoky Mountains, going through Tennessee, and just being in awe as a little kid. Like I'd never seen you know, anything like this growing up in southern Michigan and farmland. I, I just I'd never seen any terrain like this. And then when I was 19, for the first time, I went out west. I was going with a buddy uh, at Bible College, going out to visit his family in western Colorado for uh, spring break. And driving through the, the Rockies as a 19-year-old, and I was just like glued to the, the window, just looking up at, at the expanse and the vastness of this mountain. There's something about mountains that evoke awe in us and wonder. There's something about mountains that, that make us realize that we're, we're small. We're, we're, not, we're not the biggest thing out there. And, and, and it's interesting that in Scripture, mountains are often a place where people meet God in profound and powerful ways. And, and we see that here in Exodus chapter 19. And what we, what we encounter here in Exodus 19 is actually the beginning of an extended narrative. Uh, we'll, 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 be, uh, we'll still be at Mount Sinai again next week as we go into chapter 20. But one, one scholar points out that this account of the Israelites' stay at Mount Sinai it actually constitutes about one-sixth of the narrative between Genesis and in the book of Kings, or 2 Kings. It, it covers a, a, a huge expanse of the Old Testament. Um, a total of 59 chapters in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. This is an important formative period in the nation's history. In fact, everything that are recorded in all these chapters, it's a period of about 10 or 11 months that they stay at Sinai. So it's a relatively short period of time, and it's unusual for Scripture to devote that much to such a short window. It underscores how important this time, this encounter with God is on Mount Sinai. Now, we're not going to spend 10 or 11 months unpacking their stay at Mount Sinai, but we do want to spend some time this morning talking about not just Sinai, but actually two mountains. And, and, and the title of today's message is A Tale of Two Mountains. If you're looking in your, in your bulletins, it had a different title. And towards the end, after we printed them, towards the end of the week, I changed it. So that's, that's why the discrepancy between the screen and your notes, if you're paying attention there. And, and so the, the first mountain that I want to talk about this morning is the one we just read about. Talk about encountering God on Mount Sinai. And that's exactly what happens in Exodus 19 and 20. And you heard as Lindsay read the descriptive language of this encounter. This was not a, this was not some sort of like a, a walk in the park or a picnic or some just sort of pleasant stay in a cabin with, uh, you know, waterfalls in the background and, 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 you know, deer walking in the meadow nearby. You know, some of you maybe a vacation at a really nice place in Gatlinburg or in some place in the mountains and you've had this beautiful, uh, just, just quiet, picturesque place. That's not what was going on here at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was terrifying. Look at the language there. Verse 16, there was a thick cloud. The people shuddered. 
The people shuddered. They were, they were so afraid. Verse 18 says, Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain shook violently. Some of you maybe have been on such a big mountain before that you've been so, uh, uh, so high that you've been able to look down and see clouds. Or you've, you've been, you know, seen some of the haze or the fog kind of sitting in the mountains. That's not what this was. This was smoke from a fire. And it had completely enveloped the mountain. And here's the thing. The Lord was the fire. The Lord came down on it in fire. In fact, then what happened in verse 21 is that God says to Moses, go down and warn the people not to break through to see the Lord. Otherwise, many of them will die. This was, this was terrifying. Try to imagine here, you're, you're brought by God to this mountain, and all of a sudden you see this, this event going on before you. It's, it's hitting all of your senses. You're actually feeling the earth quake. You can probably feel the heat radiating off the mountain. It's a terrifying thing. But, but God has to say to Moses, listen, just in case there's somebody who thinks that it might be cool to go explore, tell them to stay away. We, we all have that friend, right? We all have that buddy that's got to get just a little closer to the edge. That's got to climb just a little bit higher, drive just a little bit faster, pick up the snake, Poke the animal with sharp teeth. Whatever it might be, we've all had that friend, and maybe some of you are that friend who's like, come on, guys, it'll be fine. And God says here, listen, in case you got any of those in your midst who think like, hey, the mountain's on fire, let's go check it out. No, or they will die. It wasn't like, ooh, it could be dangerous. Ooh, they, they could get hurt. They could fall and scrape their knee. That, that's not God's concern. The, 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 they, there, was, there was something going on on that mountain that was so terrifying and, and so serious that for the people to get near would have killed them. And they began to really understand that this was not for them to get close and they, in those last few verses that Lindsay read in Exodus 18 and 19, the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain surrounded by smoke. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. What was going on there? You see, the people were encountering a holy God. A God in all of his transcendence and glory. And he was giving them just a little peek as to his majesty, his beauty, his power. And because of their sinfulness, that they, they realized that what he said was true. They, they couldn't approach this God. This God whose holiness was blinding. Holiness is we just want to be simple about it, it, it a simple definition would be it, it's God's moral perfection. It's his purity. It's his separation from sin. It's his glory. And people got little glimpses of this at times in the Bible. Encounters with God that left them just 
completely undone. Earlier in the summer, we looked at Exodus 3 and Moses encountering God at the burning bush. He had to take off his sandals. God said, you're on holy ground. Later on here in Exodus, we're going to see Moses actually asks to see the glory of God in Exodus 33, 18. And God says to him, you can't see my face for humans can't see me and live. When people got close to God, the effect was life changing. You, you, God, God, was, God was not like going and seeing a, a tourist attraction. He wasn't like going to a museum and, and seeing like something that was kind of cool. And you're like, oh, wow, I've never seen that before. Like when you encountered God, you didn't walk away the same. That's why at the end of the Exodus, when Moses comes down from the mountain, what's, what's his face doing? It's glowing. He's got, he's got flashlight face. His, his face was bright because of the encounter with God. Other places, you might be familiar with these. Isaiah encountered the glory of God. And Isaiah 6, what was his response? Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. When John encountered Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, this was his response. I fell at his feet like a dead man. Even Peter, when he was out fishing and Jesus saw that they hadn't caught anything all night, you know the story, and and so he says, hey, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And they're like, okay, whatever, we'll try this. And they they get so much fish, their their boat can, can barely contain the weight. What was Peter's response? Cool trick, Jesus. That was neat. Why don't you show up every day we're fishing? Because we would make a lot of money. No, here's his response. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. You see, God is, is always beckoning us to come. But we have to recognize that we come before a God who is not like us. The last few hundred years of Western civilization has been trying to break down the barrier between God and us by exalting who we are and and simplifying or dumbing down who God is. And that's not the picture of Scripture. As men and women encountered God in the Bible in in these real and personal ways, every time, again and again, they were left unraveled by their great neediness for grace. They needed God's hand to stay them. They, they needed God to intervene because they all felt like they were going to die. This is the encounter with God on Mount Sinai. My brothers and sisters, we're all born sinners desperately in need of a savior. You see, the reason that people encountered God and felt like they were going to die because that's exactly what God says the punishment for our sin is. We have to be separated from him because our sin is that great and his holiness is too beautiful, too pure. Something has to be done in order for us to be able to come close to this God. I'll tell you what, if all we had in the Bible was Exodus 19, if You had never encountered God at all, knew nothing about the scriptures, and someone handed you one chapter of the Bible, and they handed you Exodus 19. You'd have a very terrifying God. You'd have a very 
narrow perspective of the character and nature of God. It is true. He is a God of holiness, of white hot purity that we we can't just approach. We can't just whimsically walk up and say, here I am. But it's not all there is to God. And what we see later on in the New Testament is that there's another mountain on which we encounter God. And I want to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 because this is, this is so important to understanding Exodus 19 and 20. When you're, when you're studying your Bibles, this is just a little side note, it's so important to understand how the New Testament interprets the Old how the New Testament writers, how Jesus himself unpack the Old Testament. If you take stories by themselves, they, they don't have quite the fullness. They don't have quite the, the clarity that it gets developed through the New Testament. And this is one of those stories. The writer of Hebrews is going to talk to us about encountering God on Mount Zion. We saw in Exodus 19 how the Israelites encountered God on Mount Sinai. But in Exodus chapter 12, we read about another mountain. Mount Zion. He says in verse 18, For you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words. That sound familiar? He doesn't mention the word Sinai, but that's exactly what he's talking about. Darkness, fire, gloom, storm, blast of a trumpet, sound of words. This is, this is Exodus 19. He goes on to say, Those who heard it begged that not another word could be spoken to them, for they could not bear what was commanded. They encountered God and they said, God, we can't handle this. We, we, we are unclean. We cannot be near. He goes on to say, If even an animal touched the mountain, it must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses himself said, I'm trembling with fear. This describes what we just read in Exodus. But notice how verse 18 began. You have not come to what could be touched. You see, while Mount Sinai, they weren't supposed to go and physically touch it. They they could because it was a literal mountain. It was something that they could walk up to. They could see and they could feel it. It was It was an actual physical mountain. But he says, you've not come to a physical mountain. It's good to know that you and I don't have to make some sort of pilgrimage to a certain location where God dwells and God lives in order to become a Christian. He says, you've come to a different mountain and not one that could be touched. What are you talking about? He explains in verse 22, instead, you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. This sounds like a different mountain. This sounds like different things are happening here than on Mount Sinai, where there is fear and terror 
and distance. He says, now you've come to a festive gathering. That sounds like a place I'd like to go. That's a party that you want to be at. In the Old Testament, Mount Zion, it did refer to a physical mountain, the mountain on which Jerusalem was built. But in the New Testament, and actually you get inklings of it in the, in the prophets in the Old Testament, but you start to get a fuller picture in the New Testament. Zion, is, it's, it's not a physical mountain after all. It's, it's the spiritual kingdom of God. It's the spiritual city of God. When Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, Zion is, is another synonym for that. Being brought into the presence of God, where God lives and dwells. And that's true of all those who have trusted in Christ. And the contrast between Sinai and Zion, it couldn't be greater. It's stunning. Hebrews helps us imagine the difference between the two as the author paints these striking colors between paralyzing terror and extraordinary joy. The Israelites came to Mount Sinai and thought they were going to die. He says, but you and I, we've come to Mount Sion, a festive gathering. What's the difference? Both contain the presence of God. In the Old Testament, we have to stay afar off. Here now, the writer of Hebrews says, come to this mountain. You don't have to stay away. You don't have to keep your distance. You are welcome here. What changed? One writer says that we don't fear because we as Christians have arrived at another mountain. Not Mount Sinai, but Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. Not only this, but we've come to angels and heavenly saints, to God himself and Jesus, the son, the mediator. We don't fear because we even now are given access to God in heaven, not on an earthly mountain, but on his heavenly throne. We, like Isaiah, see the Lord high and exalted on his throne, but a trembling fear doesn't come over us. Why? Because the writer of Hebrews explains elsewhere in his book that Jesus, the mediator, by his once for all sacrifice, intercedes for us. And that's why Hebrews 10, 19 can say, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. You see the difference? Jesus, the mediator, has allowed, has made the way for us to be able to come into the presence of God. No more trembling, no more fear of death. We can come boldly because of Jesus. It's not to say that we enter into his intimate presence casually without reverence. But it does mean that since Jesus died and rose again, we enter into that presence with a degree of joy, with thanksgiving, with confidence, which were wholly lacking in Exodus 19 and Isaiah 6. We know that we are without sin before God and have been reconciled to God through Christ. the great joy of the new covenant. My brothers and sisters, at Sinai, there's terror, there's fear because of our sin. At Zion, there's welcome acceptance because of the blood of Jesus Christ. N.T. Wright says that the center of the contrast between Sinai and Zion, in fact, is the contrast between a holiness which is terrifying and unapproachable in a holiness which is welcoming, cleansing, and healing. As we close, 
I didn't put these in the notes, but they're just three thoughts I want to leave with you by way of application. And the first one is this. Encountering God requires a response. When we encounter God, he calls us to respond. You know, when some of you have have, uh, been in class, elementary school, middle school, high school, college, I think we've probably all been there and we've, We've been zoning out. You know, you're just not paying attention. You're not focused. You know, nowadays with Chromebooks, you can get easily distracted with having those devices in front of you. But even before Chromebooks, you know, we just, all we needed was a window and a little imagination and you could zone out. And uh, we've all experienced that terror of like, you're, you're, you're out there, you're daydreaming, you're gone mentally, and all of a sudden everything's quiet. And you snap back to reality and everybody's looking at you and you realize the teacher just asked you a question and you are supposed to respond. And all of us, depending on our personalities, interested, it'd be an interesting sociology study to go around the room and be like, okay, what would you do? What would you do? Some of us are like, just honest, be like, ah, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Others of us are like, I'm going to lean into this and I'm going to fake it as good as I can be. I'm just going to throw out an answer and hopefully I'm in the right ballpark. But we know that in that moment, there is a response required of us. Everybody stared. The teachers clearly asked us something. Even if we're not ready for it, we've got to give an answer. When we encounter God, there's a response that's required. You have a choice to ignore. Somebody could have said at Sinai that day, I know he said don't go up there, but I really want to get up in that smoke and just check things out. And they would have dropped dead. They had a choice whether to disobey God, whether to fall on their faces and worship in awe and wonder. And you know what? The same is true for each of us today. God is calling you. God's beckoning for you. God's calling you to Mount Zion. And you have a choice. Every day you have a choice when you hear God through his word, through worship music, through his people, through nature. When you hear God, you have a choice whether you're going to respond to him and how you're going to respond to him. But you, you have to make a choice. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote. He, he, he was talking about the ways that which we sort of come up with our own version of God. And what happens then when we, we actually encounter the one true God, the real God for who he is. And he, he wrote this. He said, an impersonal God, that's well and good. A subjective God of beauty, truth, and goodness inside our own heads. That's better still. A formless life force surging through us. A vast power which we can tap. That's best of all. Because we're not accountable to that. Just some sort of power force. But God himself, alive, pulling at the other end of the cord. Perhaps approaching at an infinite speed. The hunter, the king, the husband. Now that is quite a different matter. There comes a moment when people who have been dabbling in religion suddenly draw back. They say, supposing we've really found him. We never meant to come to that. We're still supposing he had found us. He goes on to write elsewhere. If there is a God, you are in a sense alone with him. You cannot put him off with speculations about your next door neighbors or memories of what you've read in books. 
What will all that chatter and hearsay count when the anesthetic fog, which we call nature or the real world, fades away and the presence in which you've always stood becomes palpable, immediate, and unavoidable? Here's what Lewis is getting at. Sometimes we, we crowd out the, the voice of God with our busyness, with distractions. Some of us are procrastinators. We encounter a task that we've got to do and we put it off as long as possible. We just, we don't want to do it. We don't like, maybe it's really hard. Maybe it'll take a long time. Maybe it'll force us to make a decision. We don't want to, we don't want to make a decision on or whatever. Some of us are procrastinators, but you all know that there comes a time when you can't put that off anymore. That eventually that rises to the top and it's right there in front of you and you've got to deal with it. Whether it's a task at work or a moral decision or some major life decision, you've got to deal with it. And what Lewis is saying is that at some point you can drown out the voice of God through your busy lives and through other views and philosophies about God. But there will come a day when you are alone with God. There will come a day when his, as, he's always, as he said, the presence in which you've always stood, he's always been there, becomes palpable, immediate, and unavoidable. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond to God? You can only put it off for so long. And I want you to know today that you have a God who is calling you to come to Mount Zion. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, he's calling you. But you can't ignore his voice. Not forever. The second thing that I want us to see by way of application is that holiness is not just for God. This, is, this could be another sermon by itself. But if you still have your Bibles open to Hebrews 12, verse 14 tells us this. Pursue peace with everything, with everyone, and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Pursue a holiness because without holiness, you can't see God. God is holy and he calls us to be holy. Not in order to, like not through some way of measuring up to God, but because of Jesus and his power to change our lives. He calls us to seek to live that reality out in our daily lives. Just because we now live in the presence of God doesn't mean that holiness doesn't matter anymore. The holiness required to enter into Zion has been given to us by Jesus. And now he calls for our daily living to match up with our standing in the sight of God. And the final note of encouragement I want to give you this morning is that you can come near. You can come near to God. I, I, don't, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know your view of God. I don't know how you, how you feel about God, how you feel in relation to God. I know this, that a lot of my life, I have lived feeling like God is at a distance. God is, God, and God wants it that way. This general idea that God is upset and grumpy and angry and that I'm not worthy to come near. And that would be true if it weren't for Jesus. My sinfulness would keep him away, 
keep me at a distance from him. But because of Jesus, he calls us to come near. He says we can boldly go into the throne room. We can't fully grasp that unless we understand what it was like for those high priests. And, and, and the average person could not just go in. There. Even the priests themselves couldn't just go into the Holy of Holies whenever they wanted. And even Mount Sinai here, no one, no one could go up there but Moses. One guy out of hundreds of thousands of people. And now he says, listen, y'all are welcome to come in. Come boldly. You don't have to tiptoe. You don't have to peek around the corner to see what kind of mood he's in. He beckons us to come near. Why? What's the change? You know the answer. It's Jesus. Jesus went to the cross and took that sin of ours that kept us from the mountain, that kept us from the presence of God. He took that upon himself. And through his death, he said, I'm going to pay that penalty. That penalty that would require death for approaching the mountain. And if you believe in me through faith, if you, if you take that for yourself, if you take me, you get to come on in. You're welcome anytime. My brothers and sisters, that's, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what should get us out of bed every morning. That's what gives us hope when, when life's spinning out of control. That's the anchor. That's, that's it. Like that's, that's the good news that we can come boldly into the presence of God. My brothers and sisters, this morning I want to ask you, are, is that you? Are, are, are you coming to God? Are, do you feel like you're welcome into his presence? Or do you feel like the door's closed? Or at the very least, you got to knock quite a few times and make sure the coast is clear. If there is, what's going on? Why do you feel that way? Maybe it's some bad theology, some misunderstanding about God. Maybe it's unrepentant sin. Maybe you've got something between you that you've got to, it's not God who's turned his back, but it's you who's closed the door because of disobedience. And you've got to come before him and say, God, I, I need to turn from this. This is sin. And I repent of this. God's never changed his disposition towards you. Through Jesus, you are welcome any day, every day, any time of the day. You are welcome. Exodus 19 and Hebrews 12 are a tale of two different mountains. On Mount Sinai, we encounter the God who is holy. And on Mount Zion, we encounter the God who beckons us near. Did God change? Did God somehow flip-flop? Did we have one grumpy God in the Old Testament and a nice Jesus in the New Testament? No. What changed is that Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. So the way might be made to be in the presence of God on the mountain. My hope and prayer this morning is that you draw near. That you draw near and know that you are welcomed into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, this is a good and a glorious thing. I don't, I don't fully understand it. I do not fully understand how a holy God could welcome unworthy sinners. I get it theologically. It's through your son, Jesus. But I don't get the kind of love that would give up your only son to die 
for undeserving sinners. I don't understand that love, but I want to, God. I pray that, that, that my brothers and sisters here today and that I would be, like Paul prayed, rooted and firmly established in your love. Help us to know the, the height and the depth and the width, the, the volume of your love. The kind of love that would allow sinners to approach a perfect and pure and holy God. The kind of love that would make it so that, that we don't have to tremble in fear before you. We don't have to cower and snivel in your presence. God, I pray that for those of us here today who haven't been drawing near, maybe it's distractions, maybe it's idols, maybe it's a sense of unworthiness, maybe it's, it's sin in our hearts. Lord, today would be that day that whatever it is that's been keeping us from coming to you, that you would, you would show us how to deal with that, how to give that to you or repent of what needs to be repented of or to, to change our thinking and come as sons and daughters into the presence of the Father who treasures us. Lord, let that sink down deep into our bones. May it, may it become just a natural way of how we think about you and relate to you because we need your presence, God. Give us hearts that understand this. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. God bless you as you go forward.